Thanks, Rob. Quite a long reading this morning. It's, uh, we've got uh, a fair bit to get through, so we're going to uh, dive straight into it. If you would uh, just bow your uh, heads with me in prayer as we just come before God and ask for his blessing on his word to us today. Father, we thank you again for the privilege of being able to come around your word together, uh, to be taught together, Lord, and to, uh, to know that uh, you are here with us in this place. Lord, we pray especially that uh, your spirit would be our teacher today. Help us to have our hearts and our eyes and our ears opened to all that you might say to us uh, collectively and also individually. And we pray especially, Lord, this morning that you might just use this time as a time to uh, enrich us and encourage us in our faith, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we continue on in our series through Deuteronomy. This series we've entitled uh, Choose Life, and our passage this morning is entitled Growing in Holiness. It's part one of a three-part series as we look through chapter 13 and 14 of Deuteronomy over the next three weeks. I don't know if you uh, picked up on it this morning, but uh, really essentially what uh, our passage is speaking of today is this whole subject or topic of idolatry. And the first commandment, uh, out of the Ten Commandments, the first commandment says this, that uh, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. That was God's word to his people through the commandments that he gave them through Moses. God's people are to worship God and they are to worship him and him alone. That is to be faithful to him and him only. Well, that's the commandment. But how serious do you think God is about this? How serious do you think that God is about this particular commandment that we shall have no other gods before him? Well, I think our passage this morning shows us how serious he is about this matter. Because he says, for those who lead his people astray to go after other gods and to worship them and to serve them, God demands that these people be put to death. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Incredibly serious. But it's not just these people who are to be put to death. In fact, as we, if you go into the, uh, the end of the chapter there from verses 12 through to 18, you'll see that, uh, that in the case of the city of people who all of the city have actually turned away from God and have gone after these other gods, the whole city and everything in it was to be put to death. God takes idolatry very, very seriously. Incredibly seriously. Now idolatry is the worship of any other thing in the place of God in our lives. The worship of other gods. And these gods can take all kinds of shapes and forms in our lives. In fact, anything that we worship, whether it be you know material things, whether it be money, wealth, possessions, things like that, whether it be uh, our careers, even ourselves or our relationships with people, the people whom we put as you know, really important in our lives, if these things, even things like our leisure pursuits and, uh, and, and stuff like that, if these things take priority over God, then they themselves become an idol. Anything at all becomes important to us. It becomes important to us. That is an idol if it becomes more important than God. Why does God treat idolatry so seriously? Have you ever asked yourself that question? 
Because God just doesn't make up a, you know, just this list of rules in his mind and say, yeah, I think this is a good list. You people, you've got to observe these. You've got to obey these. He doesn't just do it just for the sake of having these laws. He does it for a reason. Why does God treat idolatry so seriously? Simply because it is an infectious disease that can rapidly spread and cause incredible damage and destruction in our own lives and in the lives of those around about us. Spreading its tentacles out through our world, causing this devastation and damage and destruction like nothing else. Jesus himself used a little bit of a different metaphor. The metaphor of yeast when referring to something that has this capacity to, to influence and to impact in a, in a damaging way. And he speaks about it in Matthew 16 where he says to his disciples, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That word yeast is referring to there. Of course, he's talking about their teaching. Their teaching and their example. Beware of it because they might say, you know, that they are teachers of God, but in actual fact, they're actually leading you astray. Their teaching is false. Now, as we come to this passage in Deuteronomy 13 this morning, we're aware that here are the people of God. They're camped on the plains of Moab, ready to enter into the promised land of Canaan, the land that God had promised them, the land that he'd made a promise to Abraham, you know, centuries before. They were about to enter into this land, but this land of Canaan was a, a veritable hotbed, if you like, of idolatry. We see that in in the end of chapter 12 of Deuteronomy. Let me read it to you from verse 29. It says, When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? that I may also do the same. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Here we see God is pointing out that these nations, the nations of these people who, who the Israelites are going into uh, to, to their land to, dispos- to dispossess them of it and to take up residence in that land, these people were, had a myriad of gods whom they served and whom they worshipped. And some of the practices that they had as part of their worship were abhorrent practices, evil practices, wicked practices. We see that here, that they were worshipping, they were burning even their sons and daughters in the fire of their God, child sacrifice. This was the kind of situation that God's people were going into and God needed to prepare them. He needed them to stand firm in their trust and in their love for him. But he knew that there would be this incredible danger that his people, as they go into this land, would be tempted to go after these foreign gods and to worship them and to serve them. So his desire is that his people not only be aware of the threat, but also be aware of the danger of those people within their midst who might lead them astray, who might actually lead them down this path of worshipping and serving these foreign gods. 
And Moses gives three examples in our passage this morning. The first is the uh, false religious leaders in verses 1 through to 5. It says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. The prophet, the prophet was God, supposed to be God's spokesperson to his people. To bring God's word to them. Words of warning, words of encouragement, even words of judgment. And so for that reason, a prophet had a very significant role to play in the nation of Israel. And sometimes God would convey a message to his prophet, either through a vision or through a dream. And we see that in Numbers 12.6, where it says, And he said, Hear my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. This is how God sometimes communicated his message to his prophet so that then he could take that message and then proclaim it to the people of God. And the situation that Moses relates here is of this prophet or this dreamer of dreams who comes along to the people and who makes some kind of prediction, some kind of prediction as to a future occurrence, and it comes true. Now, if you're the people, people of God and this person comes along, pronounces this prediction, and it comes true, you would expect then that that person would indeed be from God, wouldn't you? Because essentially, miraculous signs and wonders were meant to authenticate the message of the, of the one who was proclaiming it. They were meant to authenticate the message. Therefore, if this person exhibited such a sign, the people would have reason to believe his words. But Moses goes on to say, if that same prophet then encourages the people to go after other gods, which you have not known and serve them, then the people of God were to ignore him. They were to not listen to this prophet because he was indeed a false prophet. And why were the people not to listen? Because it was a direct contradiction of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You know, Satan, our adversary, is a master of trickery. He is a master of the counterfeit. He seeks always to deceive us. God's word tells us that Satan is able to disguise himself as an angel of light. Use these counterfeit means in which to deceive the people of God. And on the surface, his schemes may look impressive and they may appear authentic, but, but their purpose is just to mislead us and to deceive us and to get us going down the wrong path. And today there are many, many charismatic and impressive religious and so-called spiritual leaders who profess to be spokespeople of God, who profess to have knowledge of God and of spiritual things. And some may even, may even perform impressive signs and impressive wonders, healings and prophecy and things like that. Yet they are still preaching something counter to what God's word says. They are preaching something different to what the word of God says. Today there are things like the prosperity gospel, that you know that it's all about you know health and wealth and that sort of thing. 
You know, if you've got all this abundance of possessions, then God is pouring out his favour on you, he's blessing you, and, and that's what you should be seeking to go after. You know, and that, you know, if the more faith you have, the more God will bless you. And the more God will bless you with these, with these wealth and prosperity and things like that. Who was the third person in history, do you think, followed God the most? The most accurately? It was Jesus, wasn't it? Did Jesus have all this wealth and prosperity? Did he have all this money and all these mansions and palaces and things like that? Jesus actually said, the son of man has nowhere to lay even his head. So if Jesus wasn't blessed by God in this way, surely we as God's people who are supposed to follow in Jesus' footsteps shouldn't actually be putting these kind of things first and foremost in our lives. Wouldn't you say that? Not only is there the prosperity gospel, but we also hear people talking about the fact there is no hell. That in fact, ultimately, everybody goes to heaven. Well, if that's the case, then why did Jesus come and die on a cross for our sins to save us? If there was no need for us to be saved, then why come and die in the first place? We see people proclaiming that all religions are of equal worth. And in fact, that we ourselves are all gods. This is a kind of religious kind of stuff that's out there in our world today. Satan trying to use these people to deceive us and to get us to move away from the one true God and from the authoritative word of God. There are those who deny the divinity of Jesus. They, are, they deny the authority of the word of God. They teach a works-based salvation. All these things are counter to what the word of God says. Of course, Paul, speaking in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, Paul says. Paul is saying, you know, even, even if an angel all of a sudden appeared in your midst, an angel of heaven appeared in your midst, and said to you to go after another God, that he proclaimed a completely different gospel to the one that has been proclaimed to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, let even him be accursed. Because Paul says there is only one gospel, and that gospel is salvation through the name of Jesus Christ and him alone. That's it, folks. There is no other message. Of course, the principle here is that God's written word must always be the basis by which we, tr- we judge truth claims. God's word, always. Now, God sometimes allows such people to, uh, to proclaim these messages, and he, but he does it for a purpose, and that is to test us to test the quality of our faith, to test the obedience and devotion to God, to see whether or not we're, our, our, our faith is really authentic. 
You know, puts it through the fire to test it, to see whether or not it's genuine. How valuable is it? How trustworthy is it? How real is it? Now, that's not to say that God deliberately seeks to tempt us because God will never do such a thing because it goes against his character. But God will sometimes allow these things to test the quality of our faith. We see that in verse in the uh, in the verses there for us today. It says, "You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul." Because verse four reiterates the importance of being true to God. It says, "You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice, and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him." This particular, in our current versions of the uh, the Bible, it doesn't really pick up the emphasis that is actually placed on God in the, in those verses in that verse. The emphasis is really on God, on Him. Him you must fear. It's like Yoda talking for these Star, you Star Wars fans. Him you must fear. His commands you must keep. Him you must serve. His voice you must obey. Him you must hold fast to. Do you see the emphasis there? It is on Him, on God and God alone. Again, the basis for this devotion is because of God's saving work on behalf of his people. We see that in verse 5. You know, deliberately going after false gods, these foreign gods, meant that the people were, were, would literally cut themselves off from the very source of their salvation. That is one of the reasons why God says, don't go after these other gods because they'll just take you on this path of destruction. If you call fast to me, then you will know life. You will know life in all its fullness, in all its richness, in all its depth and meaning and purpose, and not just life now, but life for eternity, God says. That's why I want you to follow after me, because I am your life. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 10 to 13, these incredible words says, For, the, for cross the coasts of Cyprus and sea, or send to Kedar and, and examine with care. See if there has ever been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and instead they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. Can you see the fruitlessness in, in what the people were doing? They had ban- abandoned God, the fountain of living water, and instead tried to, to carve out for themselves these holes in the ground to get water for themselves, but they were broken themselves and so they wouldn't even hold water. But this is what the people were trying to do by following after these other gods. Of course, it's very similar to the words very more succinct words in John six sixty eight, where after Jesus had, he had been speaking about himself as being the bread of life, many people who had been following Jesus decided to, to walk away from him. 
had just said, this teaching is too hard for us. And so they left Jesus and Jesus turns to his disciples and says, do you want to go too? Do you want to go too? And Peter says these incredible words. He says, Lord, where else have we to go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. Folks, there are many religious or so-called religious voices out there in our world today calling us to deny the one true gospel, to deny God and to seek to get us to go after these other gods. God says if you chase after them, they will leave you empty, they will leave you dry, and they will just lead you down a road that leads to damage, destruction, to misery, to pain, to hardship. It's foolish to go after these sort of gods in our lives. The second uh, group of people that, God, that Moses reminds us about today are the close, close family and friends because sometimes even those closest to us can cause us to be unfaithful to God. Moses refers to family members. He speaks about if your brother, the son of your mother or your son or your daughter or the wife you embrace or your friend who is is your own soul entices you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known. Some of the gods are the people who are around you, whether near you or far off from you, from the one end of the earth to the other. You shall not yield to him or listen to him. You know, family relationships in the nation of Israel were the most important and strongest of all relationships. Responsibility to the, to the family was paramount in that society, in that culture. In fact, it took priority over even individual freedoms and rights in that culture. And so if, if pressure was to come from a family member then to treat, you know, for, for, for a person in the family to act in a certain way, to serve gods, to worship foreign gods, then that person was obliged to do so. But yet God's word tells us here that obedience and loyalty to God was even more important than even these close ties, than even these family ties. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, Jesus says these incredibly, um, yeah, incredibly impressive words where he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You now what Jesus is saying there is he's not saying to the people you've got to hate them literally, but he's basically saying, you know, you need to love God more than these people in your life. They are to take second place in your life to God. And if they don't, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. They're pretty confronting words, aren't they? Thanks, Lydia. Glad you're listening. Hey. You know, for us today, it can be so easy, can't it, for us to put relationships above our love for God? To put those people who are special to us in our lives above our love for God? We can do it with our spouses. 
We can do it with our children. We can do it with our parents. We can do it with, 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 with those who are closest to us, our close friends. We can put those people in a place that is higher than God in our lives. In other words, we are more devoted to these people in our lives than we are to God and following his word. And God says it's not on. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, there are numerous times that God warns his people not to marry foreign wives, simply because of the influence that they would exert on the person. And we see numerous examples in the Old Testament. One of the classic ones is, is, is King Ahab and Jezebel. King Ahab was, a, was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. And he married, he did this political kind of alliance with, uh, with, with, a, with a northern neighbour, and he married Jezebel. And Jezebel came into the court of Ahab and what did she bring with her but 900 prophets of Baal. And the whole of the nation went downhill. Solomon was supposed to be the wisest person who ever lived. We're told he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And the scriptures remind us that that these wives led Solomon's heart away from the Lord. Folks, the family unit was designed by God to be the hub of disciple making. It was to be the central place where disciple making took place. Al Molo um, speaks about it as the laboratory of disciple-making. And to undermine this meant to undermine one of God's primary purposes for the family and to, in fact, undermine the future of the people of God. That is why God saw this as being so desperately important. That is why he said the people were not to yield to such people in their lives, not to listen to anything they say. They weren't even to pity them, nor spare them punishment being death. Because God himself is uncompromising when it comes to covenant faithfulness. And because God is uncompromising, that means we should be too. When it comes to relationships, folks, we have to be very, very careful whom we decide to partner up with in our lives. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse fourteen says, Do not be equally unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? We are not to yoke ourselves to unbelievers in such a way that they become the person who influences us in our, in our relationship with God and seeks to draw us away from our relationship with God. The third group of people that Moses mentions are the influential community leaders or public opinion. We see that in verses 12 through to 18. See, it's possible for not just an individual to be led astray from God, but for a whole community as well. Moses uses the example of a whole city being drawn away from God through the influence of wicked men. One of the uh, classic examples of that is, is the golden calf incident in, in Exodus 32, isn't it? 
where there is Moses up there on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments of God, and yet down below on the uh, the plains here are the people who come to Moses, uh, who come to Aaron, who's there as as, as the uh, surrogate leader for the people, while Moses is away, and they say we're sick and tired of waiting for Moses to come down from that mountain. Who knows? He could he could be dead by now. You build us build us a, something to worship here in this place. And they put pressure on Aaron, this community people. They put pressure on Aaron and Aaron gives in. Folks, there are people in our lives that are going to come into our lives and they are going to want to convict us and and try to commit us to following after foreign gods, to be following after things which are not the path we should be going in terms of our worship of God. It's interesting that uh, how the uh, how idolatry is actually referred to in this passage. Three verses, verse five, verse eleven, and fourteen. It speaks of of idolatry being rebellion. It speaks of idolatry being wickedness, and it speaks of idolatry being an abomination. As I said, sadly in our society today, there are a number of influential groups who have gained the national ear, who have brought about significant change in societal beliefs and practices. I mean, who would have thought that 10 years ago we would be having you know, national debates around whether or not it was politically correct to put a male and female sign up on toilets? But yet that is what's taking place right now in America. And it's coming here, folks. That it is politically incorrect to put a male and female sign on a toilet. And there is so much debate that's going on in America at the moment that people don't know where they stand. There's so much emphasis today placed on on people being able to be non-gender specific. Now, can I say that that may be the case for a very, very small minority of people who have been born with some physical abnormalities which kind of call their gender into question. There are that kind of thing that happens today. But today the debate is often focused around just how people choose to be recognised. Oh, I don't want to be a man today. I'd rather be a woman. Or I don't want to be either. It's senseless, isn't it? Yet these are the kind of national debates that are are happening and are coming here to this country. It's foolishness. Marriage equality is another area where we're seeing vocal minorities sway public opinion. Whether it be the media, whether it be celebrities, whether it be politicians, whether it be lobby groups, no matter who they are, there are people, there are many voices in our society today that are seeking to lead people astray and seeking to deny God and to lead people into the worship of other things. Who says the Old Testament isn't real for today? Hey? Folks, we are to discern truth from error and even if the majority sides with it, we are not to. We are to stand firm as the people of God. Verse 18 says that we are to obey the voice of God. John 10, chapter 3 says, My sheep know my voice. 
My sheep know my voice, Jesus says. Do you know the voice of the Lord today? Truly, his voice and his alone. We are to keep the commandments of the Lord. But it implies then that we know them, doesn't it? If we are to keep them, we are to know them. And we are to do what's right in the sight of the Lord. Now, can I say that, there? yes, there will be times where we will fail. And yes, we will be tempted and we will succumb to going after these things in our life and putting them above our priority and love for God in our lives. It will happen. But thankfully, that doesn't mean that we are under God's judgment and that we, he will put us to death because Jesus himself has died that death in our place. Isn't that wonderful news? If we put our faith and our trust in him as saviour, then his sacrificial death becomes ours and his forgiveness becomes ours. But that doesn't mean, folks, that we are to trivialise our sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 4 says this. Paul writes, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Absolutely not, he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, For you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We have been set free from our, these, these, these sinful desires that, that hold us in slavery where we have no choice but to follow them. Now that, that we've put our faith and trust in Christ, Jesus gives us the power to say no to that path. And instead to walk in life and in hope and in joy and in peace and vibrancy. Isn't that incredible? One John chapter two verse one says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that what? So that you may not sin. There's the goal, folks. That we may not sin. However, he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So we are to aim to walk in the footsteps of Christ, to not sin, to not succumb to temptation, but when we do, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who has purchased righteousness for all who put their faith and trust in him. Folks, our world today is like Canaan. We are living in a modern day Canaan today. It is a veritable hotbed of idolatry. There are all kinds of gods, idols, that call us, that whisper to, whisper to us with these tantalising promises, alluring us 
saying, come and follow me and I promise you all of these blessings and all of this joy and all of this satisfaction and happiness. Whispering away in our ears, sometimes yelling in our, in our faces, come, follow me. Leave wholehearted love and devotion to the one true God. But if we do, we leave the one who is able to give us what real life is all about. God often referred to his relationship with his people as a marriage relationship. So therefore, to desert God and go after other gods, folks, is to commit spiritual adultery. For those of you who are married, you know how serious that is, don't you? To go after other gods is to commit spiritual adultery with the one who, called, who came in order to save us, in order to give his very life for us, to suffer incredible injustices and incredible suffering and torment on our behalf. How could we ever, ever desert him? And yet we do. Our idolatry causes great offence to God, the one who gave everything for us in order to bless us. To go after other gods is to walk away from the very one who can truly give us the very thing that these gods so often promise but which fail to deliver. I just see that as the height of foolishness, folks. Don't you? So... Let's deal with idolatry without mercy. Deal with it in our lives. Identify it. Let the Holy Spirit convict you in your heart of it. Confess it to God. Put it to death in your life with Christ's help. And do it today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this word to us this morning from Deuteronomy that written so many, many years ago. Lord, thousands of years ago and yet is so relevant to us today. Lord, we know that there are many things today which truly captivate our hearts more than, they, more than you captivate our hearts. And Lord, we go after them because we think that they will give us what we so desperately seek and desire in the deep down recesses of our, of our hearts and souls. And yet in your love and in your grace and your mercy, you say, no, no, my child, don't go after these things because it will only end up bad for you. It will lead you to, to pain and hardship and suffering and damage and destruction. Yes, it might satisfy for a little bit, but ultimately it will leave you hopeless. Lord, help us instead to put our faith and our trust in you, to serve you wholeheartedly, to see these idols for what they truly are. Help us to put them to death in our life today and always, because this is an ongoing battle that we will face right throughout this life. Help us each day to put these idols to death in our life through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to walk in that newness of life in Jesus Christ to know the rich blessing that comes from only him 
and serving him and loving him. We thank you that you have indeed been gracious to us, that you have provided this way for us. And we pray from this day forward that we might indeed trust you, that we might might glorify you in our bodies. Amen. As you leave today, make sure you take that message with you. Be very mindful of it every moment as you walk out through every day for the rest of your days, that it is this God that we chose to live for, the one and only that we will honour. Please stand. What more can we say but Jesus, thank you. Holy One